We're lying with a stray blue beetle. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Well, hello, and welcome back to another show full of brand new movies to talk about. Um, three today, we're going to talk about strays, we're going to look at Blue Beetle, but we are going to begin with Lie With Me. So, um, what's the premise of this then, Van, without giving too much away at the start? I think I would best describe this as a sort of, uh, as, as a French romantic drama, if you will, an LGBT French romantic drama. So it's the latest from uh, Olivier Olivier Payon, I think. Did uh, was it Tokyo Interrupted? Tokyo Shake? I forget, Tokyo Interrupted? I forget the name of it from a couple of years ago. Um, and he has directed and co-written this. There's two other writers on this, and it stars. You have to forgive me if I I pronounce this name very badly. Um, <laughs> it is Goulame Goulame de Tonquedon, which doesn't, doesn't <laughs> roll. Doesn't roll does sound, it's not going to roll off the tongue, that one, is it? Um, who, incidentally, tremendous, in it, a great performance. So this is the story of a kind of a middle-aged uh, author, gay middle-aged author, who returns to his hometown, he's from Cognac, returns to Cognac after, I think it's like 30, 40 years, like since he pretty much finished school, he's returned home for the very first time uh, as part of a promotional thing to open a distillery. Right, they're using his clout to, to basically endorse this, this local distillery. And uh, while he's there, he encounters a young man, a young fan of his, who I think works works for the distillery. Very quickly discovers that this young man has a connection to his own past. He is actually the son of his former lover, his gay lover from when he was at school, his very first male lover, uh, who basically you know, opened his eyes, showed him the world, you know, sexual experience, etc. And uh, his, his lover has now passed in the years since he's been away. They parted under, you know, bad terms. He pretty much just left. You know, and in the time that he's been away, his lover has his, his lover slash the kid's dad has now passed. The kid himself is in his early to mid twenties. Is as, as much as he's a fan of you know our author lead. At the same time, he knows that there was something between him and his father. He doesn't quite know what the story was and seeks to basically you know learn. Or what the story was, as well as explore a side of his father that he didn't know. Once he wants to get to know a side of his dad that you know, obviously was was hidden from him. And this actually really moving, really fascinating story. I was really taken in by this. But uh, Goulême de Tonkidonk, uh, Tonk Tonk de I'm not sure. I'm just going to call him Tonkidonk, uh, Mr. Tonkidonk. A fantastic performance, like really moving performance. Something of a Philip Seymour Hoffman vibe there is, is the way I can describe it it's very much in, in the physicality of it in the the nuance the reserve of the performance you think if this were done in the English language this would have been the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is the kind of even even age appropriately you think like this is something Philip Seymour Hoffman would have done if it yeah. were done in the English language um Victor Bomondo who plays his name oh his name is Lucas um the, the son of the the former lover Really captivating performance as well, because that is one where there are, there are levels to it. There are there are a couple of subversions and twists. As, as I've just laid that plot out for you, it does kind of come in stages, in waves and reveals. And the way that he plays it at any given time 
really keeps it going. It does add to the suspense. It's a great performance. But it's, it's effectively largely a two-hander. In the present-day sequences, you get the two-hander between uh, Belmondo and, and Mr. Tonky Donk. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's a great performance. The, 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 the fact that I thought they might pivot this into something of a sort of awkward, uh, awkward you know, love story in and of itself, but they don't, which I actually really appreciate. I thought that might take it too far into the realm of melodrama. But Cut against all of this are the are these flashbacks to where you get the, the, the you know the father and our lead in their teenage years, and we actually get to see that relationship played out. Rather than simply be told, we are actually shown how it goes. And I say, really, really moving, riveting story. There's a lot of, sort of latent homophobia. There's a lot of uh, you know uh, repressed feelings, things like that. And I thought this was great. Um, I was briefly quite confused because Lie With Me is also the, the name of a movie from 2002. Which Have you ever seen 2002's Lie With Me? That no, who's in, who's in that one? It stars. These, these are names that you probably wouldn't have heard in a long time if you did know them. Eric Balfour from uh, Six Feet Under and uh, Lauren Lee Smith from Mutant X. And it was filthy. It was, it was a very rare... I think it might have been Canadian made, but it was filth. Like, well, we're talking this, Fifty Shades kind of filthy. Worse, far, far worse. This this was Whoa. one where there was a lot of talk. It, it, it flew off the shelves at Blockbuster back when I worked in Blockbuster, like because it was it was it was really really out there. The, the like, top they, shelf ones, yeah. Well, I mean, thinking it was an art film, but it was like really like there were questions asked about how simulated the sex in it was. For instance, it was it right. was one of those. It, it, it was most definitely it was like a nine songs. This was it was nine songs like three or four years before nine songs came out. But uh, I so I saw the title for this and got that it was uh, I got that it was a romantic drama. I thought they reissued "Lie with Me" because we nearly reviewed the Idiots this week until I realised that it was just a reissue of Idiots from I think it was two thousand two or from also two thousand two. Um, but no, so don't get those two confused. It's a very different film, and this is not what I say in any way a salacious movie. It's not a smutty movie. It is in every sense of the term a romantic drama. But it is about this really moving, uh, say, very well-defined and well-drawn relationship between these two men. One of whom isn't really even in the film. I mean, albeit in a young, he is in a younger flashback form, but like there is no present day. But the way that the relationship is explored, I thought was just incredibly well done, incredibly moving. And I, I say, I, 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 I was just, I was on the edge of my seat with it. And it's not what you describe as a, you know, a suspense thrill or anything like that, but I was on the edge of my seat just being taken along by this ride. And the Ghislaine de Tonkinonk's uh, performance, though, I thought absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Loved it. Would it give too much away if I asked, did the young boy know that his dad had had sexual experiences with a man? No, I mean, it, it, I, I, no, no, it's not really giving anything away. Yes, he sort of does, but sort of doesn't. He know, he knows that his father loved him, for instance, but he's just not quite sure of the context. And uh, as I say, we get the story of like how his life went and the the, 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 the moment of, explore, of exploration that sort of drove his father from his life, and how his, his father took his own life. For instance, which we're really only told very casually in a sort of offhand way. He hung himself in his home. Kind of thing, but it's it's the events that we get told, we're told of leading up to that, that I think really that proved to be the big reveal. I say I, uh, I this is going to be this is going to be in uh, art house cinemas or independent cinemas from today. Uh, it's the new Peccadillo movie. So you usually tend to find these ones in your Curzons or your showroom cinemas or your your Everyman's or your Picture House kind of thing. You don't think you're necessarily going to see this at Cineworld, for instance, or Odeon. But 
I actually think this is worth seeking out. I was, hey, I was really taken in by it. I thought the relationships, the, 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 the exploration of, of these characters, I thought was incredibly well done. I don't know if you if you mentioned it at the start and I totally missed it, mm. but whereabouts in France is this set? Do uh, they Cognac. give that away? It's set in Cognac, yeah. Because I wondered, I wondered myself, I thought, oh, which unnamed village is this? And yeah, because yeah. obviously distillery. When soon they bring the distillery, I'm like, where the hell is this? And yeah, it, it's cognac, so it's the distillery. Yeah, of course, of course, I see. Yeah, that, that makes. You can imagine a lot gets drunk during this movie. <laughs> well, in a place like that, yeah, it'd be a shame not to. Um, great, okay. I mean, well, I'll, I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm not going to rewatch this before I rewatch the very filthy 2002 Lie with Me, starring Eric Balfour and Lauren Lee Smith, which I now absolutely have to seek out again because I'd forgotten that existed. But uh, well, there you go. You, you should you check that out, man. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, it sounds worth looking at. Um, maybe you want to watch this lie with me first, though. You can make your own mind up. As as Van said, it is in independent cinemas uh, from today. So search around, and you will probably find it. Um, right, we are going to talk about probably the big one for this week, Blue Beetle, in just a second, and we'll see what Van thought of that. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. All right, so let's crack straight on with our next movie this week that Van has already seen. It's in cinemas from today, Blue Beetle. I know nothing about this movie, so we really need to start at the top here. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, were you familiar with the character of Blue Beetle? Because he's, nope. he's, he's one of he's one of the Justice League, effectively. He's part of the expanded. You know when. When they get past Justice League and they get to like Justice League Unlimited in the cartoons, yeah. where there's okay. like 300 members and things like that, um, he, he's kind of like of that level of Justice League. He's, uh, I think, more prominent in the more recent New 52 continuity of the comics, from what I can gather. But I don't generally read DC comics because I, I'll be honest with you, I find them quite impenetrable. I, I find DC comics very difficult to get into. Uh, they're, they're too mainline continuity driven they're not really easy access stories like Marvel do Marvel I find their comics a lot easier they're a lot more accessible but they're a lot easier to get into I find so forgive me then if I get any of this lore wrong okay so <laughs> okay um this is not the first Blue Beetle. This is the second Blue Beetle from the comics. So they've basically kind of gone down the road like what Marvel did with Ant-Man, effectively. And from Ant to Beetle, there is a direct comparison here. And I'm going to be making a lot of Marvel comments in this. I'm going to warn you now. Okay, so we have, um, I think his name is uh, Zolo Maradena from Cobra Kai. You know from the series Cobra Kai? Have you seen that? Yes. Yes, uh, I started played- it. Yeah, he plays Miguel in Cobra Kai. He's the sort of young boy that Johnny, that who you know, is the first student of Cobra Kai in the series. So I'm kind yeah. of a fan of the kid in there. Uh, this is his sort of big movie role. It's a shame that it had to be for this one, but he plays Jaime Reyes. Now Jaime Reyes, we are introduced to at the start of this movie, returning to I think it's Palmera City, which seems to be the DC Universe version of Miami, having graduated college. Right, so by all accounts. He's seemingly not seen or spoken to his family, who he's otherwise very close to, for about four years. Uh, again, 
don't know where he went to college. I think Mars. Although we are told at one point that he went to Gotham University. We are shown a hoodie that says Gotham University. So a Gotham must be on the other side of the planet from Palmera City because at one point he seemingly knows nothing about what his family have been through for about four years, we're told. He has the parents. He has the, the, the kooky nerd sister. He has uh, the, the, the conspiracy theorist wacko uncle who shock twist happens to be right about everything he talks about. And he has uh, the grandmother as well. And uh, as he settles back into that life, he discovers you know, his family are about to lose their home. They've lost their business. You know, everything's about to go wrong for him. Sets out to get, he gets, sets out to get a job, you know, to make his way. He's going to save the family. Gets a job as a, as a pool cleaner, I think, for, uh, for a woman named Victoria Cord, who is the sister, I believe. She's played by Susan Sarandon. And she is the CEO of Cord Industries and the sister of the first Blue Beetle, a superhero who died decades previous when Jaime was a young boy. Uh, and she's, she's inherited the, the, the company from her, her dead brother. And she's obsessed with this mysterious you know, research program called OMAC, which stands for One Man Army Corp, I think. Um, and she has this little Blue Beetle type uh, you know, techno creation that she's basically reverse engineering into this program. Through various contrivances, our Jaime Reyes winds up in possession of this Blue Beetle, which turns out to be this alien techno being that grafts itself onto his body, like over, over his spine, and then forms a sort of Iron Man-like suit around him, a sort of insect-themed Iron Man suit around him, complete with a voice in his head voiced by Becky G, a.k.a. the sexiest of the most recent live-action Power Rangers. She was the Yellow Ranger. I think she's a pop star, according to my Instagram. Um, because Instagram exists, obviously. And, uh, yeah, so superhero origin story, voice in his head, techno suit. What does this all sound like? I tell you what, here's a clip. Have a listen. This is him in front of his family, you know, responding to the, to, to the suit grafted onto his back. I tried telling him. Okay, guys, I, I need to go find Jenny Cord because she, she's going to know how to get this thing out of me. Uh, where are my shoes? Come on, where are my shoes? Not the 84s. These were my favorite shoes. Okay, okay. Jaime, what happened? Uh, where did you go? Ama, I don't know. I, I, I think I cut a bus in half. <laughs> and then cut what? And flew into orbit? Okay, so I have two questions straight away. First of all, as you know, as I mentioned at the start, I, I've never mm. seen Blue Beetle, not even the first one. I've no idea where the name Blue Beetle came from. That's my first question. Okay. Second question <clears throat> is, with that sort of thing that you said that kind of connects to his spine and then wraps around him and he turns into this kind of superhero, what uh -huh. what kind of powers does he get with that? Is it is there anything specific or is it just generic superhero can fly, he's got the extra strength and he's fast? All of the above plus seems to be like nano powers, like he seems to be able to turn his arm into a big gun etc or a sword. and things Terminator. Like that. Yeah, so basically just think Iron Man meets T1 or just Iron Man now. You right, know, like Iron okay. Man now is. You know how Iron Man evolved to basically become like nano powered and could generate knives and things. We're basically he's that hero. So, right, uh, directed by Anuel Manuel Soto, uh, who kind of rose to prominence in the last few years on the TV show called Charm City Kings. I'm not familiar with it, um, and I will say actually there is some flash to the direction of this, pun intended. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, performances mostly fine. I will say, though, that Susan Sarandon 
has an Oscar. And this is the worst performance of her entire career. She's the villain of this, and she is absolutely bloody awful in it. Like, I mean, she's phoning this in. Funnily enough, Susan Sarandon was for years in a long-term relationship with Tim Robbins, who was also in one of these movies, uh, Green Lantern, I believe. And Green Lantern is a movie that, funnily enough, I thought of quite often through this. Because here's the thing about this. It's a very forgettable movie. It's a very forgettable movie that is of such low ambition and such low stakes that you do feel like if they'd released this in 1996, it would have been right at home. Like, you could have released this opposite Shaq in Steel. You could have released this in the handful of years before Halle Berry's Catwoman. It, it feels, it's very derivative. Everything about it is derivative. I mean, every moment in it that basically works is still a watered down, numbed down version of something that was done better in a Marvel movie. And I'm talking about things like when he's learning to use his powers, it's the Mark II task like from the first Iron Man movie. Um, when he's arguing with the voice in his head, it's a watered down version of Karen from Spider-Man Homecoming. When the villain whips out a laser whip, it's a watered down version of Whiplash from Iron Man 2. When, when, when blah blah happens, it's a watered down version of the ancestral plane from Black Panther. When blah, and insert bits here. It's a hodgepodge of bits that were done better in better Marvel movies. Like, this is a movie that does make Iron Man 2 seem ambitious. Uh, which, you know, God. Right. <laughs> I, do, I do feel very bad for uh, Zola Maradena because he has infinitely more charisma than this film calls for. Having said that, the film does itself no favours by at once leaning on its diversity creds in a very admirable way. Like, this this is leaning on its diversity creds in a way that, you know, like, for instance, uh, Crazy Rich Asians did. And it's, it's, it's worth applause for that in the same way that, again, Crazy Rich Asians was. However, this is a lot more patronising about it at times than that movie ever could have dreamt to be. I mean, we're talking about a movie that literally features, you know, for all of its, you know, quite advanced uh, exploration of race in America and the statements it makes, that does fall back on really cringeworthy stereotyping, like George Lopez, who incidentally is the scene stealer of the movie, having a car horn that plays La Cucaracha. And you're like, oh, God, in wow. 2023? We're doing Hello, 1970. While yeah, while he's driving a car that he's named The Taco. And you're thinking, good God! I, did, did anybody, has anybody in this involved in this movie actually met any other Latinos? Or was like on the set, the first day filming on the set, was that the first time? It does feel like that. Like nobody, nobody involved in the in screenwriting this had actually met anyone else of their own own race. It, it's bizarre. Now, I didn't hate it because it's not an inherently bad film. And as you could have predicted in advance, the comparison I'm about to make. Let's be honest. We knew this was not going to be the worst DC movie of 2023. Nor indeed could it be the worst DC movie ever because. The Flash exists! And <laughs> Batman v Superman exists! And both versions of Justice League exist. It's not inherently bad. I would say, on, on the sort of level where this sits, Green Lantern. Think back to uh, 2011's uh, Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. It's no better or worse than Green Lantern. And I say that as someone who didn't inherently have a problem with Green Lantern. It was fine, but it was boilerplate, and it felt very much past its sell-by date. Both movies, incidentally, as I say, are movies that you could have just chucked out in 1996, and they probably would have gone down gangbusters. This will find its home on streaming. When this winds up on HBO Max, which it inevitably will, you know, in, in a month's time, or when they, when they give up, when this is bombed at the box office this weekend, which it will, 
this will wind up on streaming in three weeks to 30 days and you know it'll find its its legion of fans there and the same guys who touted out hashtag release the snyder cut to basically no real avail because even the people that gave in to that now now seemingly regret doing it you know it'll it'll find its home with them for them to ignore on streaming you know just as the flash did and we're going to keep going through this motion because although they have tried to claim that this is the first movie of the DCU, as it's now called, notes we have lost the E for this one, it doesn't seem to be at all. And there seem to be offhand marks here and there about other superheroes, but there's no real, there's no ties to the thing. I'd, I think they're very much trying, because it's so disconnected, I think they are trying to graft it, pun intended, given the uh, nature of the uh, hero's power set. Yeah, I feel like they're just trying to crowbar this into what's going to come rather than doing what they should do which is just let this die man just let this die Aquaman 2 is still yet to come we'll get that out of the way and then I'm sorry but they can, they need to stop claiming that this is part of any larger picture because it's quite obvious from watching it no this is a movie that does make Quantumania seem ambitious and yeah that shouldn't be the case for anyone it sounds like it's very predictable as well and that's the last thing you want with a, a new movie that you know you're excited to see is something you can where you can see where it's going. I yeah, I mean to be honest with you, I know that there will be, uh, you know, there are there going to be audience members who you know in the same way that you know there's certain there's certain elements of representation on screen that I live to see because of my own ethnicity, and it's nice. It's obviously nice to see your own representation on screen. So I know that there is an audience out left for this character, and I can't help but think are going to feel very disappointed that they've waited to see this character and what they get is really subpar at best i say it's i'm not annoyed i'm just disappointed it's one of those well that's that's a fair fair evaluation i think yeah. well if you want to if you want to make your own mind up and maybe be excited or disappointed yourself blue beetle is in cinemas from today and as van said likely to be on streaming in 30 days or so anyway so <laughs> you can wait for that if you want uh, right, moving on, we're going to talk about the new movie Strays, which is out today in just a second. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show with our final movie to review now then. Uh, we're going to look at Strays, which is another movie out in cinemas from today. Now, I'm getting positive vibe, po posy <laughs> vibes from you on this one, Van. Right, so, Strays, new comedy from uh, Josh Greenbaum, who, not great pedigree on this guy, because he was the director of Barb and, is it Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, I think it was, which was a really misfiring comedy from about two years ago, uh, with, uh, I think it was Kristen Wiig. So, strap on in, you're going to love this. Okay, so this is a live action, I want to stress, this is a live action movie about talking dogs. Okay. okay. But... Animated in like Babe the Gallant Pig kind of a way where their, their, their mouths actually move. So they appear to actually be verbally speaking. Right. right. And they obviously, they're given celebrity voices naturally. And yeah. So what you've got here is in the vein of something like Ted, because they're, they're, they're touting Ted in the marketing. Um, the idea is that it's crude, it's R rated, and it's offensive. Okay. And the voice cast includes Will Ferrell in the lead. Uh, Jamie Foxx as the sort of badass one of the dogs, Isla Fisher and Randall Park, and they are the four dogs at the centre of this. So, the story is narrated by and centres on Will Ferrell's character of Reggie, who's a scruffy little pup who's uh, got this alcoholic layabout owner who just, like, abuses him and neglects him, played by uh, Will Forte from The Last Man on Earth. 
okay? And uh, this this owner wants nothing to do with this dog, only got him to impress his, his girlfriend years previous, and then he cheated on the girlfriend anyway, and she left, and he kept a hold of the dog to try and get her to stay. You know, that old chestnut. Right. But in actuality, he wants nothing to do with the dog, and he really just abuses you know, he just, just abuses him endlessly. And uh, one day he decides, you know, in his, his latest attempt to, to get rid of this dog, he drives for like three hours and abandons him in a city, in, in the nearest city. He just dumps the dog in the city. Get, you know, goes out, get, gets out of the truck, throws a tennis ball, says fetch, and then drives off. Kind of a thing. Right. So, Reggie then meets, I think it's Bug, who's uh, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, and who in turn introduces him to the other two. And he comes to learn about life as a stray, right? So what life is like as a stray dog. And we get to see, from the perspective of these dogs, the, the, you know, the mean streets of the city. While drunk one night, off, off beer they get from a dumpster or the, behind a, a restaurant, Reggie decides, no, you know what? I did have a bad owner, and he needs to know that he hurt me. So I'm going to track all the way back home and I'm going to take from him the only thing in life that he truly values. I'm going to bite his mm-mm off. <laughs> Brilliant. So what you, yeah. So what you've got is effectively the plot of Homeward Bound with genital mutilation. So I've got a clip for you. This is not about this clip is introducing uh, Isla Fisher's character. Isla Fisher voices, uh, is it Maggie? I think she's Maggie. Isla Fisher voices Maggie. She has been cast out by her Gen Z type feckless selfie obsessed you know uh tiktoker owner because she now has a smaller cuter puppy and this is this is how maggie is dealing with that change of status quo i was thinking if you guys were free later but what i really don't get is why jenna thinks it's so adorable when she spins around in circles like i can do that in my sleep but you know what it's totally fine it's fine Mm, okay you know what it doesn't get to me so much anymore i'm fine i'm not jealous or worried or angry or depressed or confused or fuming or unhinged at all yeah, you seem totally fine. And now that Jenna's spending so much time with Bella, it's given me a chance to do a little self-care. Like, I've been going into the digging. I really like the feeling of the soil under my nails. I'm just, like, out in the fresh air again. I'm just really connecting to the land. No, I'm, I'm learning I love digging. I love digging. I love it. I love to dig. What, what's happening? I know I am going to love this movie. And I've got to say, live action, and as you say, it, it's like a, live action with just the mouths being kind of put in, yeah. our, in post-production. That must take ages to film, to get the dogs to do the right things and go the right places and all that. I don't know, actually. I think with the state of CG animation where it is at the moment, actually, I'd imagine this is a bit more straightforward than you'd expect. Um, now, this does suffer to an extent from the thing that most studio comedies suffer from, which is to say, you know, most of the funnier, funnier gags are in the trailer. However, that being said, I did really enjoy this. I mean, it is objectively sort of a three and a half star kind of a movie. Uh, I personally, though, found myself quite taken in by, uh, by by the subtext they go for about toxic and abusive relationships. I thought uh, that was quite cleverly done because they say they do explore like you know going back to an abuser and things like that in in a way that I thought actually was a cut above what the film really called for. The voice cast are all really funny. The, the gags are sharp and they do land. The crude R-rated side of this, I thought, worked really well. It works in that very Ted-like way. Like, I'm, I'm a sucker for the moments in Ted when the joke is effectively, look, it, it's not anything groundbreaking, but the fact that it's a teddy bear doing it is what makes this funny. Yeah. It's the teddy bear saying all the cuss words. That's why it's funny. You're like, yes, it is. 
And this very much goes goes down that road with it. The characters are, are, are quite well drawn. They all get their own individual arcs. I particularly liked uh, Randall Park as as Hunter, who's uh, the you know the, the massive therapy dog with a cone around his neck and and a certain appendage that everyone keeps talking about that you know has to appear in the movie at some stage. One of those. Uh, it works really well. Uh, you're gonna love it. You, I think you will love it because obviously, if you've not been subject to all the marketing, then you know there's a lot, there's a lot more in the way of surprise for you. What I will say is, this is not up to Ted standard. Like Ted for me is a four to a four and a half star movie. This is, however, quite in line with Ted Two, which then goes back down to a sort of a three and a half star movie with some moments. Like I still think the improv sequence in Ted Two is one of the funniest things I've seen in the movie in the last decade. So, I, I, have you seen Ted Two? I've seen Ted and Ted 2, but I can't remember... There's there's a bit when they talk about, we need to celebrate, let's go to the improv and shout inappropriate suggestions. And they do, and it's, yeah, and they they start invoking things, yeah. They start mentioning, like, the offices of Charlie Hebdo and Robin Williams and 9-11 and stuff like that. And it's just a brilliant sequence that absolutely makes that movie. I I am a very, very big fan of, of the Ted yeah, more so, the first one than the second and I, I still I don't own I, I do want to own at some stage I want the R-rated uh, Ted toy like, I want the full size R-rated talking Ted do you, yeah you so, squeeze him and he spits out expletives right mm-hmm. I do I do want to get one at some stage <laughs> so, so, I'm, I'm a very big fan of the Ted you know what I'm like you, you, you've seen around my apartment I'm just nothing yeah. but movie props around here but uh, yeah this is a movie that I think will find its home more on streaming. So it's, it's going to be on Peacock within 31 days because that's the universal strategy. If the movie makes more than 50 million the opening weekend, uh, then it's, I think it's 31 days. If not, then it's three weeks. So this will, oh, it's, it's two weeks. So this more than likely will wind up on, on streaming within a fortnight, which I do think is a shame. But that being said, because it's nothing really groundbreaking and it's certainly not a TED standard, I don't see there being much in the way of mass appeal to get audiences into cinemas for this. That said, you know, it's, it's a talking dog movie with, you know, cuss words and R rating and a lot of, you know, a lot of toilet humor and lit- literal toilet humor at stages. And and this is in the, this is in the trailer. There is a there is a moment involving Dennis Quaid playing himself that I thought was absolutely hilarious. They just have Dennis Quaid just show up to be Dennis Quaid and. I think they missed a trick because the joke seems to just be he's Dennis Quaid rather than he's Dennis Quaid star of a dog's purpose, which kind of it's one of those things where if you don't know, if you don't know that Dennis Quaid, you know, was in the the dog's purpose movies, then I don't quite know what the gag is other than he's just playing Dennis Quaid. But it's it's one of those cameos that kind of works on the level of Liam Neeson in Ted 2 when Liam Neeson turned up to play himself in Ted 2. It's like that. Like I say, three and a half star movie, some great gags, they are mostly all in the trailer, but there's a couple that aren't, and the subtext, I think, is a lot heavier and works a lot better than it has any business doing. So, yeah, and also, they they do deliver on the premise. Like, the, the, the mission statement they go out on, yeah, they, they get there, and it's it's everything you hope for. It really is. I mean, I, I'd have I'd have upped the gore in this because once you've once you've gone for an R rating, just up the gore, man. Just up the gore. They 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 they, they almost do, but they need more gore in this. I say I I didn't leave dissatisfied. I got everything I wanted from the movie and a bit more. Not much more, but a bit more. What more can you ask for? I mean, I I know I'm going to love this because I was a big fan of Ted and. 
I, I found Ted the funniest when when he was doing things that you wouldn't expect yeah. him to do, like drive the car, for example. You yeah, know, with the first one. <laughs> like uh, for me, it's for me, it's the uh, it's when he's working in the supermarket. When he it's the sequences <laughs> when, he, when, he, when he chats to his boss. It's when he's, yeah. it's when he's giving his boss when he's talking to his boss about his wife. Like that, it's it's the look on Ted's face that absolutely makes it. God, I I, I feel like I watched Ted pretty often, but it's a movie I can watch over and over. I, I, it was my birthday movie that year in 2012, I think. I absolutely love the first Ted, and uh, and I, despite the fact that I think there'd been a camcorder job that had leaked a couple of days earlier, and a couple of idiots I knew had just like put all the best gags on Facebook. I was like, oh, cheers oh. for that. Despite having had a lot of the great gags in Ted ruined for me, Ted was is one, definitely one of my favourite comedies of this century. Like, hands down. Wow. Because there's been a lot of discourse lately about uh, the state of studio-released comedies, that, that they just don't do them anymore. And I think it was Adam Devine from Pitch Perfect and Workaholics had said in a, in a podcast interview this last, this last fortnight that the reasoning for that is audiences won't show up to see a comedy because they can get that in a Marvel movie now. You know, plus action. They can get comedy plus big special effects driven action. Why would they bother to go to a comedy? But, you know, no hard feelings. People seem to go quite all in on no hard feelings, a Jennifer Lawrence movie recently. So, you know, I think there is room in the market for a, a you know, solid R rated comedy. I miss them. It's more, my, one of my, I, my favorite genre. One of my favorite genres is, you know, mainstream studio comedy. But, uh, you know, we don't get Hangover style movies anymore. It's a shame. I mean, I don't like the Hangover sequels, but it's a shame that we don't get more studio comedy. So I, I would like this to do well. I don't think it will, but uh, you know, I, I think it's worth a watch. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, and you can go and, go and see it because it's in cinemas from today. Um, right, let's have a little look at what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, so, is it a fire? Yes, a fire, new Curzon movie. So uh, yeah, I, I, we've already got uh, Jake Garriak touting it on uh, on uh, on Twitter. So I, I know him for a good time with that one. Um, Mobland next week is a new movie starring. Wait for it, John Travolta. So no. expectations on that can be pretty low, aren't they? Wow. Uh, we've got the dive, which is new new, new thriller from Vertigo. Uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, Scrapper, which stars Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson? Harris Dickinson. I can never remember if he's a Dickinson or a Dickinson uh, next week. So, yeah, it could be good. Could be good. You know, British drama. Why not? And one that I am very much looking forward to. Uh, we've got a link for this, so you, you should watch this this weekend. Um, the Blackening is out next week. If you That's got to be a horror. No, here's the interesting thing about it. It is a horror movie, but it's like a satire. So the idea of this is it's basically Cabin in the Woods, but it's a group of African-American friends who have basically gone to the Cabin in the Woods and they're like a maniac sets upon them. And the, the gag here is, you know, you know the old horror gag that the black guy always dies first? Yeah. Like they're very in on this gag and they're like, oh God, which one of us goes first? We're all black. And it's, it's that gag, <laughs> effectively. But like, and I'm, I'm, I saw the trailer for the first time before Strays. Actually, I'd not seen the, even though I had the link, I had not seen the, uh, the, the any of the marketing for it. Saw the trailer, laughed my ass off. Can't wait for this. I highly recommend you check this out as well. This looks like a lot of fun. Oh, excellent! All right, well, loads of good ones there to talk about next week. Um, so hopefully you have a good time with them all. That would be quite nice. If, I mean, uh, Mobland. What could possibly go wrong with Mobland? <laughs> I mean, give, give me a Travolta, the Mafia. Ooh, I mean, we all saw what happened with Gotti. How could this possibly go wrong? Well, we'll find out in uh, in a week from now. 
So, um, yeah, that is all we've got time for this week on Off Screen. Uh, we will be back, of course, next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>